This episode of the Folklore Podcast Book Club is an audio version of an episode originally made for YouTube. To see the original with any pictorial references, please visit www.youtube.com slash folklore podcast and click on the book club playlist. Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast Book Club. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author and the host of the Folklore Podcast. Today on the book club, we're going to be discussing the teen novel Iron Spark, the debut book from American author C.M. Maguire. Iron Spark follows the story of teen outcast Bryn, who fights to keep her family and town safe from attack from murderous and evil fairies. Uh, the Fae cursed her father and uh, kidnapped her mother and forced her family into hiding in her past. And since then, Bryn has devoted herself to learning everything that she can about the Fae so that she can track them down and put these wrongs to right. I spoke with C.M. Maguire about the writing and the plot of Ironspark. So, Chelsea, welcome to the Folklore Podcast Book Club. It's lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Now, before we talk about your book, uh, Iron Spark, a copy of which I have in front of me here, uh, I'd just like to ask you a little bit about yourself first. So um, if you could tell people who C.M. Maguire, author, is, and a little bit about your background and why you're interested in working with uh, aspects of folklore in your debut novel. Um, so I studied anthropology. It was one of my minors when I went to college for my undergrad. Um, and if I'm honest, the idea of the supernatural or things just outside of our understanding has always fascinated me. Um, particularly the Fae when, you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, fairies are magical, wonderful, glittery things. And I just loved when I got older finding out, oh, werewolves aren't what we thought they were, vampires aren't what we thought they were, and fairies definitely were not what we thought they were. Um, so when I was coming up with Iron Spark, I knew very much the kind of uh, character I wanted my protagonist to be. I knew a lot of what I wanted her emotional state to be and what I wanted her to be going through, but I kind of had to pick this, what's the backdrop? What is the supernatural creature that is providing a lot of the external pressure um, and at the time, I was getting ready to start on my anthropology minor, uh, and I was working at my local Renaissance festival, uh, where I was playing an elf. So we spent a lot of time researching what's the difference between folkloric elves versus folkloric fairies. Um, and it just kind of all fell into place, was just like, you know what, it, it should be fae. I've never really written about them before. Um, and especially wanted to bring in uh, some of the Welsh because you just at least in um in the united states we don't see uh certain certain creatures uh within that i'm trying to think of the words but my brain is cold we're not used to the cold like this in houston um you don't see a lot of creatures like the gregethanun um who i fall and so in love with 
it's interesting, isn't it? I think we, we have a lot to blame the Victorians for as far as uh, what we think fairies are. Um, and your novel certainly doesn't follow that route. They're not twinkly, sparkly uh, creatures in the main, in yours. They're very much different. And I'll touch on that in just a second. So this was your debut novel, and this is a young adult book. Um, so how did you go about researching the subject matter that you put into this? So at least the get-go, I was just researching what are the different kinds of fae out there. Uh, and from there, I started learning there's a lot of discrepancy. It's actually many different mythologies that have kind of fallen under this grand pantheon idea of just um, of Celtic fae, and it's, it's so much bigger than it seems to be. And so I just started reading a bunch of different stories, a bunch of different interpretations. Uh, I knew, I probably, I don't know if I should say who the bad guy turns out to be. They, they think they don't find out really until about halfway through the book. Uh, but I knew that that particular figure was always fascinating to me, particularly in that the oldest recording of that figure is a very sparkly, pretty version. Um, I knew that with uh, characters like the Shadelings, I was going to take a little bit of liberty and say I can create new ones and say there are still new fae being created. There are still new species coming into being while mixing them with the ancient ones. So before we go any further, we ought to just summarize uh as far as we can the basic plot of the book and um the story that the protagonists go through um and you're absolutely right let's not spoiler it because i want people to read this because it's a good <laughs> read so so yeah no 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 spoilerage as much as possible but but just to explain in a very kind of broad sense uh what this book is about so usually like they elevator pitch um and my elevator pitch is it's supernatural meets buffy but it's fairies and it's kind of gay um in fact my publisher really wanted to push lesbian fairy love triangle which actually isn't too accurate to what is going on in the book and isn't even as big a deal in the book as they make they make it um but essentially you have this young woman Bryn. she is on the cusp of going off to college and her whole life has been shaped by the Fae. Um, she was a child in Wales, and something happened, and the Fae were responsible for her mother going missing. Her father tries to go get her mother back, and they curse him. Uh, and the curse very much resembles schizophrenia, but it's basically untreatable. And so he moves them to America to get away from the Fae. He has to struggle to find a job. He has to... Um, work long hours just to support them. So she ends up having to step into this motherly role. She's lived this way her whole life. And the story begins with, she's at the point where she's ready now to step away from this family dynamic. She's ready to trust that her brothers are grown enough that they can take care of themselves without her, that they can uh, be there to support their father uh, while she goes and pursues her life. And it's right at that point in her life when the Fae reappear and she herself slowly begins to 
feel more and more isolated. Like she can't trust her mentors and her father and her brothers to help her fight. She wants to protect them. So she starts turning to human allies uh, and some friends that she makes along the way, which is very difficult for her. She's extremely cagey. Now it is, as you say, um, to use your words, a little bit gay. <laughs> in places. <laughs> um, now, there, there is uh, a very definite LGBT um, scene going on within this story, which, which is fantastic to see uh, in a young adult book and also in a folkloric young adult book as well. There are some really great books on this subject. In fact, I've, there's a book of queer folk tales on my pile of books that are going to be reviewed on here soon. Uh, and it's a fantastic book. Why did you choose to use that theme as part of your story? Um, well, at the outing myself, I'm bisexual. I did not know that when I first started writing the book. Uh, and it's kind of that you you show up in your characters. Um, before I'd come out to myself, I was like, oh, yes, obviously, Bryn is bisexual. Um, but it's not even going to be a big deal. Uh, she's going to have a male love interest. And then he kind of didn't happen. And I was like, okay, she'll, she'll have a female love interest. And I was like, oh, she's going to have multiple female love interests. And this was all kind of happening as a result of, I think, something subconscious needing to show up. Uh, but I also really wanted to make a point of them not making a huge deal about it. Like, you do get the, um, there is a character later who turns out to be asexual, and the uh, non-asexual characters are like, what? Like, are you sure? Because it's the kind of crappy way that people respond, uh, and they get batted down, like, no, really, shut up about it. Um, but beyond that, I didn't want being queer to be a struggle of the book. It's just part of somebody's reality. And when you have bigger issues... I think it, I just wanted to show these characters being who they were while they got on with bigger, more dangerous business. And it's fantastic to see that as well. And it's something that I think um, folklore and folk horror and those kinds of themes are starting to engage with a lot more in, in recent times. And, and there is a lot of, um, a lot of good, material being produced which 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 works with these themes and it's brilliant to see it going into a young adult uh forum as well so that that's really good to see now your dealings with the fae in this focus very much on the concepts of the seely and unseely court which in the uk is something that certainly comes out of scottish folklore but also celtic folklore more generally as i say you, you have quite a, a strong Welsh connection within this story as well. Why did you choose to use the Seely and Unseely Court as a mechanism for your struggle with the fate? Honestly, I, I wish I could sit here and say I had some deep, wonderful reason for it. That very much came from the influence of I was working at my local Renaissance Festival at the time. Uh, and we do have a fairy court uh, at the Texas Renaissance Festival and the fairies in the fairy court are divided by, between Seely and Unseely. So before I'd even done 
all the research and settled on, I want to highlight more Welsh Fay. Uh, I think the Seely and Unseely were always in the back of my mind. So it was always going to end up kind of being a hybrid handling. Plus, of course, they, they are um, the black and white, aren't they? They are the yin and yang of, of kind of fey, if you like. So you've got a definite good side and a bad side there, which gives you a, a good mechanism to work with if you're going to look at a, a plot that involves a fight in some respects. Is that fair to say? Yes and no. Um... I'm not even sure I would quantify them quite as simply. I, I used to quantify them more simply as good and bad, but it's also just different attitudes, different values, different ways of wanting to interact with humanity. I don't necessarily think you're going to meet an unseely fae and it's automatically going to want to kill you. I also don't think you're necessarily going to automatically meet a seely fae and it's going to want to be your friend. Uh, I think they're both very dangerous. Uh, you don't want to mess with any of them. Uh, I, I agree. That was that was what I was kind of expecting you to say, really, I think. Because at the end <laughs> of the day, you make the point as part of this plot. Folklore makes the point more general, generally, that um, the Fae are not clear-cut and not necessarily to be trusted in any way, shape, or form. Well, and it's... Thing that I find so fast, and I think this is one thing that draws me to um, fantasy and science fiction. Period is you have this ability to have characters who are not human, and you can engage with non-human philosophy with very different ways of thinking, which I think makes it easier. If you can kind of put yourself in the mindset of a fae. How much easier is it to put yourself in the mindset of someone who has grown up with a completely different experience from you, with a different religion? Uh, and I think when I think of the Fae, it's like, well, they see the world completely differently from us. What means nothing to, the, to us is huge to them. What's huge to us is nothing to them. Uh, and so there's a fundamental dissonance. And so I love reading about uh, alien and non-human species for that reason. And, and then getting to write about them. And you did also, as you alluded to earlier, have the opportunity to kind of uh, twist the folklore a little bit uh, and modify and adapt and create your own fae as part of this. Of course, this is something that happens all the time within folklore, the kind of modification and adaption of ideas. Um, and you did that with your characters of the Shadelings, didn't you? Um, <coughs> excuse me. Do um, Tell us a little bit about the idea of the Shadelings and how you developed them. Um, it was, I think, I, I get a lot of my ideas from fan fictions. Like, I'll go, oh, that's, that's a neat thing you did there. Uh, and I think at one point there was like something I read where they'd inserted these weird shadow creatures that nobody else saw. So I was like, oh, that's neat. But like, what if they were gross? Like the goblins from the labyrinth. And then it was like, okay, so what if basically this girl's only friends are these gross little goblins from the labyrinth who hide in the shadows and nobody else sees them because she doesn't want anyone else to see them. And then as the story developed, I kind of went to, okay, well, but what is her relationship with them really? Why do they stick around? Why doesn't she want people to see them? Why did they come to her in the first place? 
and then ultimately, what even are they? Because they are, do not belong in fey lore. And uh, from there, I don't know if it's too big a spoiler to say what they are, because um, I think if you know much about lore, it's pretty obvious what their origin species was. But just in case someone reads it who's not very familiar with lore, um, they were once something else, and they are loyal to her only in as far as she protects them. And if she fails to protect them, they aren't going to be loyal to her anymore. Your um, other main character who we haven't covered yet, I guess, um, who comes into the very beginning of the book is, is Bryn's um, other partner, if you like, in terms of fighting the Fae. Uh, uh, and that is, that, well, the, I wasn't thinking about Jessica. I'm thinking more about the oh. church. I'm thinking of the church okay. in its widest sense. Okay, uh, just to explain who Bryn is working with when when the book opens in in her fight against. Her. So it's, and again, I'm doing this from a very American perspective, uh, but for to, for to me, at least from everything I read a lot of the modification and the changing of lore over the years, uh, and not just Celtic lore, uh, you see the same thing happening with Beowulf and a lot of the um, Norse myth and such, is the church is very involved in a lot of the perception of these creatures. In fact, there are some origins tales for Fae that uh, have them as being the spawn of angels and demons. And so... To a degree, I kind of wanted, I, al I always saw it as she's going to be working with a Catholic priest because this is someone who would be from an organization that's very involved with this in protecting people from it. But I also kind of wanted to flip that on its head. He's, he doesn't necessarily just hate them, but he does want to protect people from them. Uh, and so she's secretly, she's not, her dad doesn't know, but she has apprenticed herself to, um, the priest in their town uh, because he is a fae expert and he does know how to repel them in sometimes very horrible ways. Mm -hmm. But but yet for all that, she is not a particularly religious character. So she aligns herself with the church, but not in a kind of um, religion versus other state. And I, I think the to explore religion with Bryn, uh, in part is there, in a lot of ways, trying to understand the Catholic Church was as much research for me as the Fae, probably a little more. Uh, because I'm Methodist, I belong to a different upbringing. Um, so I didn't want to get that wrong, but also it didn't feel true to her character. Um, in order, I think, to truly be religious or spiritual, you have to engage with a level of vulnerability within yourself. And uh, in order to really engage um, with religion in a philosophical and meaningful way, which Britain just isn't doing. That's not where the character is. Um, I like to imagine someday far off in the future, she could be, she could become someone who could start grappling with those ideas. But in her case, she kind of sees it as the church was a place to be safe. It's a place that protects me, uh, but it's also a means to an end. 
it's a means to protect my family, not so much something that she engages with herself. Yeah, she is indeed very much a loner, isn't she, uh, for, for the, a good kind of first section of this book. But then you mentioned Jessica, she hooks up with Jessica, she hooks up with Dom, another um, character in her fight against the Fae, um, and, and learns that she's not necessarily the only person who can connect with the Fae on their level. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I'm not going to try, I'm not going to uh, spoil the plot particularly, but, but um, there, there are more levels of magic, aren't there, involved than just the Fae and Bryn? Yeah. Uh, I, I really don't want kids to read this book and think that Bryn is the best character that they should try to be because she's not. In fact, all the other characters that Bryn engages with are far healthier, more kind of functional people. Um, and I really loved getting to write scenes with her and Jessica and her and Dom because you have Jessica who is somebody who is, she's not learning magic because uh, I have to protect my family. I have some big mission. She's learning it because she has a talent for it and she's curious. She's learning it purely for herself and because it fulfills her. And it's such a healthier way to engage with something. And similarly, Dom is, he's a troubled young man, but he's deeply pacifistic and deeply empathetic. And these people have perspectives so different from someone who's just cagey and closed off and uh, really doesn't know how to connect either with themselves or with others, really. And another character with, with whom uh, Bryn engages in many ways uh, and gets help is the character of Gwen, who is not human at all. Tell us a little bit about the uh, area of folklore that we're dealing with with Gwen's character. So Gwen is a Gregethanun, um, and she was a big part of why I was like, oh yeah, no, I'm going to start bringing in Welsh fairies because I read the stories about them and I just thought they were such an amazing part of folklore and you never really see them, uh, the water wives. And I kind of loved the idea of I've got this gruff, tough, kind of a-hole of a main character who doesn't really, she's not, she doesn't want to be vulnerable until she absolutely breaks and has to be. She doesn't want to trust people unless they basically force their way in. And the idea of one of the people that she turns to um, out of necessity and because this person makes her feel safe is the gentlest of beings. Like in the Gargethanoon, um first folktale that I ever read was like one of them marries a human man and like he swats her bottom kind of, you know, lovingly husband to wife. And just like that, that was, that was too violent. She had to run away and go back to the water. She could no longer be with him. It's like somebody who's that gentle and who is going to be that sensitive and that kind of, I, I don't quite want to say delicate, but it feels like the closest to the word I want to say. That is the kind of person that she is engaging with. And she's so different, um, even from the other humans. 
Because even compared to uh, compared to Gwen, even Dom and Jessica are aggressive characters. Yes, she's definitely the the kind of placid angle in in this whole thing, isn't she? But very protective, um, and they are protective spirits at the end of the day. And I kind of wanted to show. It doesn't make you weak to be gentle. It doesn't make you weak to not throw yourself into battle. There are other forms of strength. Um, and it's kind of like, I, Bryn is the stereotypical, like, yeah, I'm going to be Buffy. I'm going to go throw myself in and, like, fight and kill and kick and bite. And then she surrounded herself with people who don't do that. None of them do that. And, in fact, they don't like that she does that, that they're always looking for better solutions. Yes, and, and as a young adult title, um, it has all of those elements which are really important. So it, it teaches these lessons uh, that uh, there's nothing wrong with being gentle, but there's also good to be powerful in your own way. It teaches uh, the lessons about gender and about equality that we've already covered. And at the end of the day, very importantly for a young adult title, it's a good kind of engaging strong adventure which people are going to enjoy having said that i'm not a young adult i'm a slightly <laughs> older adult and i also really enjoyed it so it works equally as well on every level uh which is why i hope that that people uh do go out and grab a copy of this and we'll in a moment just point people in the right direction to do that because uh you will enjoy it at the end of the day let's be honest the book concludes, but doesn't conclude. Uh, so if you're, if you're reading this as a single volume, then the story kind of relatively neatly wraps up at the end, but it also has places to go, doesn't it? So are we going to be seeing more of these characters coming up? So that's a very complicated question. It, that should be a simple question, but uh, if you know what's been happening with publishing in the last year, it's not. Um, I originally had a much broader scope of a story planned. Um, originally, when I first came up with the concept, I guess, I, it was always going to end exactly where it ends. And then people yelled at me and said, no, you can't. And so I do have much more planned. Uh, but whether or not I'll get to write that is very much up in the air right now. Um, I will be kind of a jerk and say, if I never get to write sequels, it ended exactly where I wanted it to end. And it had the kind of ending that I thought was very true to character, uh, even if it wasn't necessarily an ending readers might expect. Um, but I do envision more. Um, I've actually talked to my agent about, what if I just self-publish it? Like, what if I just write the sequel and self-publish uh, and see what happens there. Uh, and I think a lot of people will be very happy if you do, to be honest, because uh, there's obviously other places that this story and these characters can go, and it would be great to see where they go. And also, from the point of view of looking at the uh, the fae and the folklore behind it, um, who else they come up against and how you involve them in future stories as well, because it's a very rich area of folklore to explore at the end of the day 
So if people want to go and get themselves a copy of Iron Spark, and I hope they do, where would you like them to go and do that? Um, at least in the U.S., I know that you can get it on Amazon, you can get it from Barnes & Noble, um, but personally, I'm a big fan of wherever you are, if you know that it's a store that uh, gets books from Macmillan, um, order from there. Preferably try and order from your local small books, bookshop. Um, all of our small stores across the world are struggling right now. So if you really want to read it uh, and you want to support your uh, local stores, go ask them if they're able to order a copy. Absolutely. That's something which we uh, would also support on the Folklore Podcast Book Club. As I've said before, uh, do try and order, if you can, from your local independent bookshop because uh, they do need all the support they can get at the moment. And most bookshops will source from Macmillan fairly easily. So uh, if you want to get yourself a copy of Iron Spark, try and do it from your nearest store first and then you can hit the internet later if you don't manage it thank you so much for taking the time to come and talk to me about iron spark i hope that you take these characters further and explore more of the folklore because i'm sitting here waiting to read <laughs> well thank you so much for having me this was really fun and i'm so glad i didn't have to uh, run off to spray the cats more <laughs> no they've been very well behaved uh i thank the cats for their generosity in not invading this Zoom meeting. <laughs> My thanks to author C.M. Maguire for joining me on the Folklore Podcast Book Club to discuss her debut novel, Iron Spark. And thanks to you too for your company. I'll look forward to seeing you again soon. <laughs>